Welcome to our first public forum podcast. And I want to thank everyone for participating in this show. Pointcast is a new podcast as of January of this year. Our goal is to talk to voters of every persuasion, listen to their stories, and understand the real issues impacting their lives. Since our beginning, we have produced weekly podcasts talking to a different voter each week. Because we typically talk to single voters at a time, we wanted to create an opportunity for voters to come together and share their voices for and against issues that are impacting their lives collectively. We invite elected officials, appointed officials, and government employees to listen and to act on what they hear today. This discussion will be divided into two parts. The first part will start with a discussion with our two guests, Michael Fitzgerald and Joshua Hyde. And if others want to participate as they do come uh, to this to join into the show, we will allow them to speak their piece as well. So with that, let's begin. Welcome back, Mike. Welcome back, Josh. Um, you guys know, know what the deal here. We talk to active voters. You guys are both voters. Before we go too far into our discussions, even though you all are past guests, if you can remind our, our listeners just a little bit about yourself, um, who you are, where you're from, that sort of thing. So either one of you can start. I'll go ahead and start. Okay. Yeah, so uh, as she mentioned, my name is Joshua Hyde. Um, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. I'm just a young black voter who's concerned about the future of America and our current path in regards to who we have elected and the things that are already being done. Excellent, excellent. And you, Mike? And um, my name is Mike Fitzgerald, and as a voter, um, I've... Uh, I don't think I've ever voted a straight ticket. I've uh, always uh, split my split my ticket based on who I thought would do the best job as a candidate. Um, I'm not that uh, tied to one party or another. Uh, what I'm more concerned about is the qualities and the ideas of the candidates. Excellent, excellent. Well, we'll be able to dive into that a little bit more as well. With the last election that took place in 2016, there were a lot of people who were single issue voters. Uh, some of the folks who had no intention probably of voting Republican or for one person or another really got connected to an issue that was important to them, and one of them was abortion rights. And so now we have different states um, trying to reverse the Roe v. Wade um, um, that is the law of the land. Um, how do you all feel about, let's start with just the whole idea of being single issue voters if you think that that tactic works long term. But even the discussion about states um, creating laws to uh, challenge the law of the land, how do you all feel about that? Any thoughts? I have several. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the important thing for me to do here would be to condense my thoughts into uh, something that doesn't take forever. Mm -hmm. I, I think. Personally, the the idea of single issue voting mm -hmm. feels I don't want to use derogatory words here. I, I I don't agree with it. Why don't you agree with it? Because I think that single issues aren't what make America better. Mm -hmm. I think dealing with multiple things and multiple issues that we currently face is the way to move us forward. So only voting toward a single issue, while that may get you as a voter what you're looking for in terms of that issue, it may bring us back in several other ways that you're not either you're not even thinking about because you're so focused on the single issue that you're voting for. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's 
I mean, great for you as a voter if that's what you're focused on. I just mm-hmm. don't think that that's the way to make America as a whole better. But aren't there certain issues that are deal breakers for people? And do they or do they not have a right to have that be the issue that would cause them to vote or not vote for a person? Absolutely. I, I think it, there's nothing wrong with, you know, being passionate about a single issue. But if that's the only issue you're voting for, mm-hmm. you're using your representative voice and our democracy for, mm-hmm. I think that there is a lot more you can be doing with it rather than just voting on that particular issue. Okay. And is there any single issue that is truly black and white? Mm. Is there any single issue out there that <clears throat> what seems to happen now is if you uh, have one stance and somebody else has the other stance, um, if you look at it as black and white, then you throw all kinds of stereotypes on that other person. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. if you're on, if you're not for this, then mm-hmm. oh, you've, you're you're a miserable person, you're a miserable politician, and these are all the other things you stand for. Mm-hmm. Let me put, throw all these stereotypes on you if you disagree with me on this topic. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 um, it's troublesome mm-hmm. to not see that um, there's more to any candidate to any issue mm-hmm. uh, than just a black and white answer out there. There's so many nuances that go with with, with issues that we don't address right. because we're looking at you're either for it or against it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's jump into some of the things that we've been hearing a lot about um, that all of the candidates have been chiming in about, and that's health care. That appears at least by popular polling to be the number one or one of the top um, issues that are that may drive people to the polls Um, and it's even gone as far as to have people start to propose ideas and options Uh, the three options that we're currently hearing now are medicare for all um, the public option which means that you can choose among your private options and there's a public option if that fits you better uh, and there's the, uh, you know, the standard do nothing. Just uh, eliminate um, Obamacare as, uh, you know, as it's slowly being, as that's slowly happening now anyway, rolling all of those things back and uh, just allowing the healthcare system to stand as it was pre-Obama. So I want to get your thoughts about healthcare, these current options, or and do you think there might be better ideas that we have yet to discover? I would think there's always better ideas that you can just <laughs> talk about. Well, how do you feel uh, about the think, ideas that have been put on the table? Is that I, a, a, enough for you? Can you can you choose one and be content? As someone who had to go on Obamacare for mm-hmm. a extended period. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say that it is the way it was set up is a fairly good program. There were some glitches in it mm-hmm. um, that um, um, were not uh, well handled, I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. But in general, it provided a service that was needed mm-hmm. um, for any U.S. citizen, any resident of the United States to not have health care mm-hmm. is troubling. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest issue that I find in the healthcare field is if you don't have somebody between you and the healthcare um, professionals and, and institutions mm-hmm. um, to deal with your, to look at your um, expenses, mm-hmm. look at your bill, and negotiate for you, mm-hmm. 
you really don't have health care. You can't afford health care in this country. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it evolved with the, with the creation of insurance over time and the insurance companies then uh, going to um, providers and saying, let's negotiate a price. Mm-hmm. Well, when they ne- started negotiating the price, the, the institutions and the physicians and the other health care provi- providers had to increase their general prices because they were negotiating with insurance companies for something less. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to say to the insurance companies, well, you know, I'll, okay, I'll give you this service for $50. They had to, their standard price had to be $100. Well, mm-hmm. if you don't have insurance, then you have to pay the $100. So right. the people who are hurt most by an insurance system are those who don't have insurance because they can't get the same pricing mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. those patients who have insurance. And the real challenge also is, uh, at least I would think, is covering people with pre-existing conditions. There were the biggest, one of the biggest sells for Obamacare was p- someone who had cancer um, could not get mm-hmm. certain types of insurance because of that uh, risk that it may reoccur within so many, if they are so many years from their original diagnosis. Um, And that scared a lot of people, right? And um, so healthcare, the whole healthcare discussion scares people. Do you have any concerns that bother you about healthcare? So um, I think my biggest concern when it comes to healthcare uh, is actually the way that people talk about it. I think that in a general sense, there should be regardless of how exactly we do it, because more people get paid to deal with that. That's not me. It's not my job to necessarily worry about exactly how to fix it. However, I think that some kind of public option or government-funded option, whatever we want to call it, um, that is available for everyone Mm -hmm. to some degree that Mm -hmm. covers things like pre-existing conditions, that covers, uh, you know, the general costs of preventative health care, I, I think that that's something that we should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, however we choose to implement that is, I, I think, personally, a bit, a bit above my pay grade. Mm-hmm. My biggest issue is, again, the way that people talk about it. How are they talking about it that makes you take issue? So one of my biggest issues with the entire, with, with Trump's entire removal of Obamacare is how many people don't actually understand what Obamacare is. Okay, what is it to you? So, I mean, it's the Affordable Care Act. Right. It, but if you if you reference it to to a lot of these people who don't really understand it, they won't understand that the Affordable Care Act is different than, or is the same as Obamacare. They they fall into this rhetoric of people oh, saying Obamacare is bad, Obamacare is okay, bad, Obamacare right. is bad, without actually understanding that what they may be on, the Affordable Care Act, is exactly what they're trying to remove. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your health care benefits are exactly what they're trying to take away. Wow. So you think it's that pervasive the discussion uh, has gotten to the point where people are being tricked into going against Obamacare without realizing they're going against their own coverage? I think so. Mm-hmm. You might have a point. There was a news story about a person. There was a protest group in, um, I believe it was Kentucky, and there was a woman um, who was captured on the news protesting very definitively and harshly against um, government-sponsored health care, um, but didn't realize that her Medicare her medic- was government-sponsored health care. So there might be something to what you're saying about health care. So in addition to health care for all being one of the options that's being offered, there's a discussion now of offering health care um, to undocumented residents. How does that hit both of you? I'll talk about 
issues that have been turned into black and white issues. Mm -hmm. um, I think this one's got a lot more um, nuances mm -hmm. than we've discussed, mm -hmm. and I think we need to start discussing those aspects of it and look at it a little bit deeper than just saying you're either for it or against it. Look at some of the issues, look at what some of the people are facing, mm -hmm. uh, look at the pros and the cons on both sides, and mm -hmm. tease them out a little bit rather than just saying it's a yes or no issue. Yes, right. What are your first thoughts as you hear this, Josh? Uh, I mean, it's one of my personal beliefs that regardless of who you are, regardless of where you come from, you should be able to get medical treatment. Now, I'm not going to pretend that, like, if you're undocumented, you should have the same benefits as someone who is documented. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there are, like, you know, like you said, nuances that we can apply to the situation. Mm -hmm. But I think this is another example of, of a situation being used to be a situation about healthcare being used to fuel a different agenda. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of people here. Uh, you know, give medical benefits to undocumented immigrants and then they throw back out the whole, you know, immigration is an issue mm -hmm. and people shouldn't be here and right. deport people and all that other stuff instead of it being actually about the act of giving these people health care. And right, right. I see personally no real problem mm -hmm. with that offering. I just wish there were more people trying to talk about the issue rather than the other things surrounding it. So some people say that's already happening. They just want to formalize it because people who are undocumented who come into the country, and the argument is that they're working in our system, they're paying taxes into our system, what have you, and so they should be able to receive the benefit of health care. So that was the premise of the discussion. But outside of that, I don't know if there's been a deeper discussion to unfold that a little bit, as you were saying, Mike, to kind of vet out the pros and cons. Uh, but would it help to understand that possibly from uh, another country's perspective? I know that there are some countries that do provide. Um, I don't know if it's undocumented, though. Let me take that back. <laughs> Let me take that back. There are countries who provide health care to people who are not citizens. Mm -hmm. So would it help us to discover how other countries are doing this whole health care thing, especially if we're going into the whole public option or Medicare for all? I 100% agree. Okay. I what think that they're, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, what, what works for them, what didn't work for them, what glitches they ran into, what kind of, what kind of unexpected, unexpected things developed because mm -hmm. of that, mm -hmm. what benefits it created, mm -hmm. that whole being able to develop, um, to, to tap in to a rich amount of information from other countries in terms of what they've done and what, what is, what was worked, what doesn't work is, is something that we really should take a look at. Right, right. Well, let's go into an area, I think, Mike, this came out in our discussion. Let's talk about unemployment or underemployment, I mm -hmm. think is how, how we talked about it. If you don't mind, um, you, you specifically took some time to explain the, difference, the differences in the rates that we're seeing. Um, people right now are expressing that this is the best economy that we've ever had. This is the lowest unemployment that we've ever, ever had. These are the most people we've had working at any given time. Um, that being the case, I'm hearing from a lot of our guests that people are getting by and they're making do. Um, they're not able to get jobs in their industry. Um, they're finding themselves in other industries. And in addition to that, they have student loans. So there's a lot of issues kind of bundled into that. Uh, first of all, if you don't mind, Mike, give us a little bit of that description again between the, the, the differences in the numbers and then let's talk this thing out a little bit. Sure. Um, when uh, politicians, uh, when reporters talk about 
the unemployment rate, they're talking about a rate that's referred to as the U3 rate. Okay. That's basically the number of folks who are receiving unemployment benefits. Now, when your unemployment benefits run out, you drop off of U3. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't, as if you all of a sudden magically on the 26th day, 26th week of your unemployment got a job. Mm -hmm. um, in many cases, that's not the case. Right, you just right. simply drop off the record. So mm -hmm. U3 is basically hides a whole lot of um, the unemployment and underemployment in this country. And, okay. and people who have just given up. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. People who have, have said, you know, I've tried this for a year. I've gotten. I'm just. I'm just going to go retire. And, and what on whatever I got left. Exactly. What 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 should we be paying attention to? There's there are two other um, uh, dominant ones. I believe U five is one that looks at. Uh, again, it gets a broader definition of the folks who are unemployed. So it includes all of U three but it also looks at folks who are, have not been employed mm -hmm. uh, for a while, mm -hmm. uh, who are still looking for jobs, mm -hmm. um, or who may have dropped out of looking for jobs. How do they calculate those people? What are they keeping track of? Is it the social yeah, security numbers? It, uh, yeah, the income th against I them? I don't have an answer for that mm -hmm. in terms of that, how, mm -hmm. they, how they calculate that. Mm -hmm. um, and what's even probably harder to calculate too is what's called U6, which includes all of U3, plus what's in addition to U5, plus looking at um, uh, those folks who are underemployed. Right, right. And so in addition to the looking at the rate the right way, there's also the issue of women and minorities having a higher unemployment rate um, and, and or having a harder time finding a job even in their field and probably um, going into other areas that may or may not even support their lifestyle. So now they're having to get right. two or three jobs. Do you have any experience with this? <laughs> with uh, underemployment and unemployment, uh, as a recently out of college graduate, yes. Yes. Absolutely. I thought so. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, I don't have like a broad picture mm -hmm. about it because I've not been in the industry as long. Well, how has it been for you to um, have you, first of all, you know, coming out of college, not terribly long ago. No. Have you been able to find a job in a field that you expected to find a job in? No. Uh, do you have student loans? Yes. So you're in a place where you have to pay those student loans? Yes. yes. Um, so is it a situation, uh, what is your situation? I don't want to speculate. How are you, <laughs> how is that working for you? Well, um, it's a bit difficult at times. Um, I mean, in a general sense, you know, right out of college, it was not very much more than uh, minimum wage. And obviously, on that kind of income, it was very difficult to, you know, find a place of my own right, um, right. to be able to even pay my student loans because I didn't realize that they, you know, when it started, I, I was always under the impression because I didn't know anything about this, that they would base my student loan repayment off of my current income. <laughs> it, it took me a while to realize that that wasn't the case and there right. was an, a completely separate thing I had to file for right. to make that happen. <laughs> and obviously I've had to keep that going because mm -hmm. they want, you know, basically more than half of my current rent to wow. repay that. And yeah, obviously yeah. there's no way I'm going to be able to make that happen. Right, right. Um, and luckily for me, as time has passed and I've, I've, you know, grown with more and more experience in the customer service industry, which isn't an industry I was even considering 
right out of college, <laughs> um, I'd, I've been able to, you know, make a bit more and, and get myself in a, a bit better situation with help, obviously, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's been doable, but right, right. it, there was nothing that prepared me for that. You know, I didn't sit down with anybody to discuss that. Mm-hmm. Uh, even filing my taxes for the first time was incredibly difficult. Like no one really explains anything to you. Right, right. And it was, it's, it's just been hard. I mean, there's no, really, there's no other way to describe it. Well, you heard me talk about the economy and what some, some folks are saying about this being the best economy ever. Are you feeling that? Do you feel like this is the best ever? I feel like if you're, I don't know, like a CEO of a company mm-hmm. or if you are a tenured teacher or mm-hmm. somewhere that has a lot of money and is willing to pay you a lot of money for what you do, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I see no reason why you wouldn't feel that, but mm-hmm. I feel like there are also a lot of people under that position, mm-hmm. a lot of people that are you know, living paycheck to paycheck, mm-hmm. a lot of people who are still dealing with all the different types of debt you have to take on to live in a place like America, you know, car loans, home loans, mm-hmm. all that other good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't feel it, no. You don't feel it? Not at all. And Mike, you had an interesting story to tell as far as going, um, having to find employment after being employed for a long time. Tell us a little bit about that journey for you. Um, when you talked, I, I believe you talked about feeling underemployed, but um, going on those jobs and having those new experiences and how they've kind of broadened your perspective on this whole discussion. Yes. Okay. So uh, I found myself in a situation where um, um, I was uh, probably running into some discrimination, mm-hmm. um, and that was not. Uh, it wasn't because I was a woman. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because I was a minority. It was because of my age. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, what I discovered was that I would be working in situations where I would be looking at what I was making and I was making, I I would know what the people around me were making because we were all being paid the same. And I would look at um, some uh, single mothers and some folks who were trying to raise kids to get them through college and all I could think while I was there is how are you doing this on these wages okay Mm -hmm. a lot of the expenses that I remember having earlier in my life that I don't have anymore right how did you handle those how are you handling those expenses now and what they're paying you Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it was uh, very uh, Mm eye-opening to see that I remember when I was um, helping to run an association for a while Mm-hmm. And I looked at the, the, I had to check the paychecks for mm-hmm. all of my employees. Mm-hmm. And I would look at them and say, well, wh- how do they live on this? Mm-hmm. And then I would find folks um, in this new environment mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they're making even less. And wow. it really made it uh, poignant mm-hmm. that folks are just getting by and just wondering how they manage to do that and how little they're being paid. So that goes well beyond the numbers when people are talking about unemployment. It goes right. well beyond. So you're employed, but you're, you're, you're making a little bit of above minimum wage, or mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, but you got, you got three kids to raise. Right, and you're right, by right. yourself. Right, right. How, how, do you, how do you get by with that? Right, right. So with that being said, as far as underemployment, what type of 
what do we need leaders to pay attention to? You know, we're going into this new election cycle and we keep being sold that this is a great economy, great economy. Does that mean they're finished working or is there a different type of work that needs to take place? What do we need them to pay attention to? We just heard some uh, political debates, but not one of them really talked in depth about underemployment and the issues of people not being able to, being able to pay their student loans um, or people just you know trying to get by, trying to take care of families on less than, um, than what they probably need to be paid in order to take care of families. There was one person that mentioned it, you know, that there was at least an awareness that people are stacking jobs to make ends meet, but that's affecting quality of life and even health. So what are you all looking for in an elected official when it comes to this particular topic that would make you all feel comfortable? And I, Josh, you talked about uh, cultural and, and political effects that Trump has had on this discussion. Uh, as well as other things. What do you need to, to feel? If you were to vote for Trump, what would he need to do? <laughs> I don't know if anyone could pay me enough to vote for Trump at this point in time. Um, you know, th throwing all that aside, you know, the, the, the general things that I feel for him, if, if, if I honestly believed that Donald Trump cared about the, the people that he was representing and the, the, the issues that we would bring to the White House, mm -hmm. I think that's all it really takes. Like, as long as I, as a voter, can feel that, you know, our concerns are actually being heard, understood, and there was a plan to deal with them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's all it would really take to consider giving you my vote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But obviously taking, you know, a particular stance on an issue that I would want or, you know, something along those lines would, would lend me more toward uh, you know, voting for any particular candidate, mm -hmm. but I would, I would honestly believe, or I, I, I don't honestly believe that many of the people that run for most offices care about the majority of the people. Normally, they're they're supporting regardless like a, of party, just yeah, in general. I, okay. I mean, maybe I have just a jaded view of politics in this day and age. I don't know that that could very well be clouding my judgment here, <laughs> but. I honestly believe that the majority of the people that are, are running for these offices are generally furthering like specific either party agendas or specific group agendas. Mm -hmm. And that makes it really hard for me to vote right. for any one particular candidate because I then as a voter have to figure out who I'm subconsciously supporting mm -hmm. by giving this person or this person or this person my vote. Well, let's put a pin in that because I do want to come back to that and ultimately try to weed that, wheedle that down a little bit as to who you might. I mean, it's worth a try. I'm going to try. Mike, you had made a, a point to comment earlier that you were troubled by the silence of Republican politicians that were going along with what Trump says. Where does that fall when we talk about things like unemployment and health care? And why did you say that you're troubled by their silence? Do, are they Are they silent or are they agreeing? I guess I would be surprised if all of them agree mm -hmm. with uh, Donald Trump and his administration. Mm -hmm. um, you can't fib your way into a great economy. Um, <laughs> you just can't simply tell people that everything is fantastic when it isn't and mm -hmm. expect people to believe that. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you laugh, Josh. Why? Well, uh, um, I think that this goes back into uh, uh, one of the things that we had talked about whenever we had our original podcast mm -hmm. episode about rhetoric and how I think that 
many of these politicians, Donald Trump especially, are very good at you know, telling people what they want to hear and helping them to not understand the actual situation at play. Mm-hmm. Do you feel similarly to that, or is it something different, Mike, that you feel well, about? Well, I would, I would agree that um, most politicians mm-hmm. um, seem to spin mm-hmm. um, what they present to help reflect how great they are and what mm-hmm. they've achieved or what their party has achieved and, and not really deal with the issue per se. Mm-hmm. You know, let's twist this and say this is, you know, this is the best thing that ever has come along mm-hmm. when it has, you know, when the law has, uh, is not quite as, as uh, stellar mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. they might want to make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, politics is a lot like uh, you know making sausages, and uh, if we um, if we want to hide how the sausage is made, mm-hmm. um, we're fibbing to the country. And mm. why why hide that stuff? Do people really want to know? Do you think do that voters really want to know? Really know, or do do they just want someone to take care of it? I think everyone who's educated wants to know. Mm, that's a big statement. What do you mean? I think that a good number of the people who vote are not exactly educated on what they're voting for. They only go based off of what they hear people say and what they hear the politicians say at like rallies and other things of that nature. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they're actually educated on the issues themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is part of the reason why I have an issue with single issue voters. Ah, going back to our original point. And is that something that you uh, have a viewpoint on, Mike? Yeah, I would, ha- I would have to agree with Joshua. Mm-hmm. On that, I think it's 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 not, um, and, and maybe from this nuance, politicians don't want to take the time to educate mm-hmm. their voters, mm-hmm. time to educate their constituents, mm-hmm. um, because it's a lot easier to get elected if you just stick to the black and white uh, single issues. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they need to take the time to do that. Mm-hmm. And many of these folks are really great communicators and they can do that if they take the time to do that um it's not a matter of you know getting away from what's politically expedient Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. doing what's right for your constituents Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well on that note i want to go ahead and end part one of this discussion what we're going to do is we're going to take a break and we're going to go into the second part of this discussion i want to thank you both for making time for this And the second part, we're going to dig in deeper with some of these harder core issues that you all had mentioned to me. And hopefully everyone's ready for the ride. And at that point, the people who have joined us will be allowed to add their voices to the discussion if they'd like. All right. 